If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 199 of this podcast of ours. A podcast, I should say, that could not be produced without its Patreon supporters. So if you like what you hear, and you think you might like to support it in a small way, go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. There you will find a Linktree drop-down box. Within that box you'll find a link for the Patreon page, where from as little as £3 a month, you can help keep this podcast growing. And you can be rest assured that every penny given goes straight back into the podcast. The Cursor Arts Annual Exhibition at the Royal Festival Hall, which is curated this year by Ai Weiwei, entitled Freedom, is still running and will be until the 18th of December. I very much urge you to go down and, and have a look at this exhibition. It's, it's possibly one of the most powerful exhibitions you'll ever see. But back to this week's episode. Today, I'm taking you to meet American-Austrian art historian, writer and curator, Alexandra Steinacker-Clark, 
And on top of all that, during lockdown, she started her own art podcast called All About Art where she speaks about art news and cultural policy analysis, book reviews and interviews with cultural practitioners, gallerists, museum directors, curators, art entrepreneurs and artists alike. Alexandra and I have been speaking on the socials for quite some time and we thought it would be a good idea to do a podcast crossover where I would feature on her All About Art podcast and likewise Alexandra would feature on the Ministry of Arts. So a few weeks ago, on a sunny Sunday afternoon, we met up, set up our mics, and took it in turns sitting in the hot seat. So once you've finished listening to this episode, why not jump over to All About Art? At the end of our conversation, Alexandra will tell you how to find All About Art, or you can go into the show notes of this episode and you'll find the links for both her social media and the podcast itself. So please... Come with me as I spoke to Alexandra Steinacker-Clark and All About Art. Yeah, caps and bars. Yeah. They're not good. How would you explain what you're doing to someone that doesn't know your work? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Okay. um, How would I explain what I do to someone who doesn't know my work? I think I would probably say that I broadly work in the arts. I do a lot of different things. I have a day job where I work in a gallery. Uh, I often joke that that's how I pay my bills, Uh, but it is a very rewarding thing to work with a lot of amazing art from the 20th and 21st century. I then would probably add on and say I run an arts podcast where I like to interview artists and cultural practitioners, people who have made their work in the arts into successful careers um, because I think that it's interesting to see the diversity that comes with different, uh, I guess, professional pathways in the arts. And so that's something that I would stress because I feel like that those are kind of the two main things that I do it's my day job and then the podcast but then also I love to do different projects I love to uh, write and curate on a freelance basis I love to work with contemporary artists and I guess that's how I would explain what I do to someone who you know doesn't know who I am or or any of my work so you write about art you curate about art you work within the art world and you have your podcast, which is called... All About Art. All About Art. Yes. So there's them four things you do. Yeah. In what order did they start? I started with my day job only because of the time that it takes. Uh, I think if I were to start with what I'm most passionate about, it would 100% be the podcast. Okay. Because, I mean, yeah, it's incredibly rewarding. Good. Well, I'm always interested how people have ended up on our shores who aren't from our shores. Yeah. How and why did you end up in the UK? In the UK? So, uh, I was born in the UK. You did make it sound like you wasn't sure where you were. (laughs) No, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say in the arts, but you said the UK and I was like, oh, oh, that surprised me. Um... I, so I was born in the United States. I was born in Seattle, hence the accent. And when I was 14, also after the financial crash in 2008 in the States, uh, in 2010, my mom and I moved to Austria because my mom is Austrian. 
I did not speak the language. Yeah. I was thrown into a new culture. I was thrown into a new school. I, you know, had to make new friends. I was also away from my dad. I was away from, you know, the place that I grew up in and everything I knew. And after I went through my teenage years, going through puberty and all of that, I ended up kind of not really being scared of things anymore. And so when I started to work, you know, I I started working when I was 14, 15, um, like at Subway and things like that. And eventually there came a point where I realized that I cannot stand getting up in the morning and not loving what I do. Like not fully passionately believing in what I'm doing every day. And so I just really felt like I needed to find something that makes me happy. Um, No matter if it made me a lot of money or not, that wasn't the point because I didn't really grow up with much of it anyway. So it was never really this big thing that I felt like I needed to chase after in the sense, like obviously for my own security and safety and, uh, you know, livelihood, yes, but not in the sense that I felt like, you know, I had all this pressure to... Um, make a lot of money that that was like my main thing. So uh, that was when I decided to do the ballsy thing and apply to only UCL because I was like, I'm going to get in. It's fine. I'm going to apply. This is you was in Austria at that time. Yeah. How was it, if I can just backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Going from Seattle to Austria, how was that change of culture? Because Austria is like, Germany, but a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. It's like the but south of Germany. Germany. It's it's very much like the south of Germany. So like yeah. Bavaria yeah. and Austria um, have a lot of similarities. And I would say that, I mean, God, generally the way that people interact uh, with one another, I am so incredibly like cheery and I smile. And I remember one time as I was working at Subway, was I was working in Subway in Austria. Yeah. Sorry, I presume that was America. No, that was that, right so. after I moved. Okay. So it was kind of it was this. It, it was right as I was kind of becoming yeah. a teenager. So in Austria, I was working at Subway, and I remember these gals coming up to order their sandwich, um, and. I was like, hi, how are you today? And I just gave them this big smile. <laughs> As your pen goes flying. Yeah. Um, we weren't having any happiness here, thank yeah, you very much. But they started to make fun of me. Yeah, like I, she was happy and I was outward. I was way too cheery. They were like, my God, she's Ooh. a psycho. And um, I remember, we're, we're good friends now, this guy and I. Um, his name's David, so shout out to David. <laughs> but um, David was my ex-boyfriend's buddy. And he did not like me. And he used this word in German called Quirlig. And Quirlig means like... Me, 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 me. <laughs> like yeah. that's, the, that's what the, the, the <laughs> phrase like is. Word already. And he just, he hated me because I was... I, for him, I was this like hyperactive, really open, really loud, really cheery American girl. Well, that's one version of... You know, we've all got versions of of a different nation yeah and one version that the brits see of an american that is one version of it yeah just like um the americans version of a brit is either a toff or a chimney sweep yeah yeah (laughs) but i do have to say that when it comes to like my american 
background and nationality and things I actually really struggle with it because number one I feel like there's a lot of like judgment that comes with it with the accent I remember when I moved here and this guy asked me where are you from and I could already tell that he was going to be a, a prick yeah. and I was like I'm Austrian which is what I tell people when it, you know because Whoa. yeah and they and they don't expect it and um and he yeah <laughs> and he was like um he said, oh, but you sound quite American. And then obviously I was like, well, I'm half American. And he was like, you're half American? And then I kind of told a bit of my story. And then he was like, don't lie. Don't act like you have more culture than you do. You're American. <laughs> and I was like, and at this point, like this was my first year at uni. And I was like, you asshole. Like, what? Why? But I, you know, I also really struggle with the fact that when I go back to the States, you know, there are a lot of things where I'm like, ooh, I, I don't appreciate yeah. it, this about this country. I mean, we could start with the most basic things that everyone knows about, like the healthcare, but Jesus, that affects everyone's lives. Like, it affects my family, you know? Yeah. And so. But when you leave a culture, yeah, your own culture even, and step out of it for a while, then you start to sort of realise the good points of other people's and start seeing the bad points of your own or the good points. Yeah. You just start seeing your own culture in a different way. And this, yeah. that's a healthy thing. Yeah. It? I would definitely say that uh, I now probably identify more with my Austrian really? side. Yeah. And how long did you live there for? So I moved there when I was 14 and I moved away to come to the UK when I was 21. So, so in seven that years. seven years, yeah. so we've both been taken out of our situations for seven years. We have. somewhere else. Not, not fully comparable, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the school uh, that I went to might be. Seven years of our life, anyway. Yeah. Um, are you now fluent in, is it German? It's German. Speak? Yes, so I'm fluent in German, and I also speak and understand Austrian dialects, um, because some of the words can be a little bit different uh, depending on where you are. Good. And uh, something that I think in Europe is much more prevalent is that they do really support you learning other languages. So I also speak quite all right French as well, which is something that I think, and I had learned that during high school while I was in Austria. Whereas in the States, you know, yes, you can have a language, but in Austria, because you're landlocked by other countries in Europe, you can very easily go and visit these countries yeah. uh, that you're learning the languages from, whereas in the States, it's all very distant. Yeah. And so you don't really have that same exposure. So I feel like actually my languages, I mean, all of, I, I would only, I would be monolingual if I hadn't. Did mum speak German in the home? Not, not growing up, no. It was... You know, it, it was kind of that classic uh, American... Yeah, she was trying to fit into a new culture. and yeah. yeah, and also I think she would have, but at the same time she was a lawyer in the States. She had a couple weeks maternity leave. And then, you know, as a single mom, you got to figure out... I mean, my parents are separated. Mm. So uh, my mom is the primary caregiver at the time with a full-time job, with all those responsibilities. I guess that just wasn't that big of a priority. Yeah. I think that one of the reasons why I learned German as fast as I did is because I did grow up with that exposure because my grandmother spoke German to my mom. Um, I think because I can speak German pretty much completely without an, without an American accent in the language. 
And people tell me that when I speak French or I speak also a teeny tiny bit of Russian. And when I speak those languages, I apparently have a very Austrian accent wow. instead of an American yeah. one. Yeah. Super. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. So I think that that's why I picked it up so quickly. But I didn't, unfortunately, grow up. So after the people in Subway saw you being a very outwardly American woman, yeah, did you turn back from there? Did you realise that your culture was clashing in this new one and turn back to try and fit in, as we all do when we go to other cultures? Or did you just go, They're gonna, I'm going to cheer up this bit of Austria? Yeah, I don't think I ever toned it down. No, <laughs> I don't think I ever toned it down because I'm still... I mean, I think I calmed down as I got older yeah. in the sense of, like... I think part part of that, like, hyperness or loud American, you know, expression was also me trying to find my way as a young teenager, not knowing who I was... So I think that that came out of that almost. So you're leaving America at 14 when you are just like everyone else in your town, city, state. Absolutely. You go to Austria and all of a sudden you are a shining identity, be it positive or negative in people's minds. Yeah. You are you are something different. You can be anyone who you want to be now yeah. rather than just the same as everyone else in the street. Yeah. And in that case, you know, I was the American. I mean, I remember now when I look back and I talk to people who knew me back then, I was I was the shiny thing. You know, I was at that point as well, Austria, you know, the school that I went to, they had never had someone who didn't speak German come to the school. Yeah. Now that has very much changed. It's way more typical to have exchange students or people coming in, immigrants, things like that. I, it's, it's more typical than it was what over... Crap, 12 years ago. So has the school now got the Steinecker Clark wing? <laughs> I actually, I left the school three years in because oh, they, they didn't, I don't think that they did half as much as they could have. Yeah. In my first year, the, uh, the guy who was teaching me German told my mom that I will never learn the language. <laughs> and, <coughs> sorry. Yeah. Oh. Um, but I ended up graduating high school with honors, yeah. uh, top three in and my class. And fuck you, teacher. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, I think that, yeah, he, he can go fucking. So it made you stronger. It made it you did. a stronger person. And I think that that's why I then was like, I'm going to get into UCL and I'm going to move to London because I'm not fucking scared because yeah. I had to go through all of this. And, like, obviously, as a teenager, there's a lot of emotional stuff that like I could I could deal with everything that was thrown my way now as an adult in a much better way but when you're a teenager you have no idea how to handle these yeah. things and so I was just I mean emotionally all over the place and had to find my feet but if I can do that and if I can learn German and graduate with honors top three in my class that means or I guess that's what I've now carried with me is that for me I have that odd self-confidence like almost to the point where I'm like, if I want to do it, it's going to happen. Yeah. Period. Did you have art in the home growing up? Um, a little bit. So my on what side? My dad is um quite a working class background in some senses, and in some senses, I don't. I guess that's kind of what it's like when you grow up with kind of two different parents, two different lives, two different people, and and structures. So. 
um, with my dad on the weekends, sometimes we would just sit and draw together. Nice. Because my dad is phenomenal. He's he's an amazing artist. He doesn't do it professionally. He never has. But he would buy me books, uh, like art books and different things. I got really into, oh my God, oh, this is so embarrassing. I can't, uh, I got into like drawing like manga and things like that when no. I was young. Well, how is that? That's, I don't that's know because the... it's just, I don't relate to it at all anymore. No. And so I'm like, oh. <laughs> the things you do as a child are based the foundations yeah. on what you do later. So yeah. if it wasn't for them, you possibly would not be here. Yeah. And I and I don't I don't really make art anymore at all. I enjoy it, but I feel like it really just gave me that feeling of it I, I was exposed to it, to this creativity. And I saw how much fun it was, you know. Oh, I remember because, you know, when you're when you're drawing really meticulously and um you're doing a lot of things your hands can get sweaty and it can smudge if you're doing if you're using pencil and my dad used to always like buy me little gloves and then cut the fingers off so that like i I wouldn't get sweaty but i'd have my fingers it was just it's things like that where i just fondly remember having those experiences with my father and i think though that's kind of the extent of it i never i honestly i don't even know when the first time was that i walked into a museum i didn't know like anything about the art world when I came to study art history I did not know what was coming my way (laughs) so what's the link between drawing with dad and wanting to start UCL doing art history so that was one teacher he is an artist in Austria practicing artist and he also teaches art history at the high school I ended up switching to after that first one his name's Gerald Tusch and he, that is a good name. yeah, Especially yeah, with Tush. and he's—I <laughs> didn't even think about that. Um, Sounds like a nickname. Yeah, it's not. It's his. It's his surname fully. <laughs> and he, um, goodness. Oh, he's... you have a girl heart, Tush. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's marvelous. I'm sure he'd love that. He um he taught art history and I mean, he was just phenomenal. I just really fell in love with the subject. And th- this was in my final year at in high school. And uh I remember telling him I was like I want to apply to UCL. Will can can you be my my re- can I can you write my reference letter? And he was like, yes, but I do have to tell you that art history at university is not like art history here. And I was like, cool, okay, can you write my reference letter? Like, I, again, like, I, I just wasn't... I'll pick it up when I get there. I know, I just, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, this is what I want. I've decided. I want to do this. And um, I, it had never felt so right in my life. I remember the moment when I was, like, thinking about careers and stuff, and I... I was researching careers in in art and in museums and things and I I saw a couple of things and um, I then grabbed my computer and ran into my mom's room and I said, Mom, I think I know what I want to do. And she was like, right, then let's look up universities, let's see what we can do. So my mom was a huge support in that as well. Like we sat down and we looked at the best unis, the good programs and UCL is obviously one of the, the top universities in the world. And so I was like, right, I'm applying to that because I wanted to study in English but I didn't want to go back to the States okay. and I wanted to be in Europe. So 
I, I thought the EU at the time, but hey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did it make any? Have you got an Austrian passport? I do. I have dual citizenship. Good. Did that make it any easier? Did you yeah. apply as an Austrian? I did, and that meant that my uh, fees were cut in half. Exactly. So, that's where I was going. With yeah, yeah. So I took out student loans, which I am now gleefully paying back. <laughs> um, but I do have to admit, like, I did go over that meticulously with my mom. Yeah. And she said, you know, God, in comparison to the States, where you have, no matter what you earn, no matter how long you have the debt, you have to pay back like $500 a month. Like that's what she had to do and she, yeah. cause she went to uni in the States. And um, she was like, this system, even though it sucks that you have to take out a loan and that you have that, this system is quite humane. You know, I don't have to pay back that much. It's based off of my income. Like, you know. It's, it's, I, I say to people, it's not a debt. It's just a higher tax band. <laughs> you just yeah. have to pay a little bit more tax. Yeah, it comes out of your pay packet. You're not, yeah, it's not a debt that's around your around your neck. But you know what's really depressing is I looked the other day, and <clears throat> according to uh, the interest that's getting tacked on versus my income and how much I'm paying into it, the interest is more each month than oh. what I pay. So yeah. And then leaving uni, where did you go from there? So. Uh, again, this, this comes into, I think, you know, how I grew up. I, uh, when I came to London, I worked two jobs. I worked at Costa, Costa Coffee. Uh, I now never drink at Costa Coffee. Um, and I also don't let my friends drink at Costa. I say, if you can avoid it, just don't, just don't go. The Boston. Yeah. Just boycott Costa. Um, and then I was lucky enough to score an interview with the head of client services, uh, Jen Stein at the time, at Sotheby's Auction House. And so in my first year at uni, I landed a job on the front desk at Sotheby's. And it was great. I was, I, I mean, honestly, I was in awe. I remember Jen, you know, when Jen gave me that opportunity as well, like it was really nice. Um, because I walked into the interview and this is where my American, like, hi, was super useful because that got me the job. Does anyone know an American we can put on the front desk? Yeah, but honestly, that's the sheet. When I walked in and I was like, hi, it's so yeah. lovely to meet you. And then I had the smile and then I had the na na na. And, um, oh God, it was such a good opportunity for me. Uh, and I did that throughout my bachelor's and my master's. And I did that throughout the pandemic, which was also when I was doing my master's. And so I did that all at the same time. And then when I finished my master's degree, I worked at Sotheby's a little bit longer. And then I thought, you know, I want to see what else is out there because I was kind of at the end of my rope at Sotheby's in the sense that I was in the bids department at that point. So I'd switched from client services to bids, which also allowed me to travel. I was sent to Geneva. I was sent to Bonn in, in France. And that was wonderful. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but I wanted to see what else is out there because I wasn't learning anything anymore in the department I was in. I wasn't necessarily interested in joining a specialist department at the auction house. So I wanted to see, you know, what else, what else there was. So I was applying for jobs and like full transparency. I was interested in, in working at a museum. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. But for 22K a year to be an assistant curator, like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just can't. Like, I just... I, I, I can't, I literally, there's, I have, I also have responsibilities now and those responsibilities, I would, I'm, I'm not covering them with 22K. Uh, so I did a brief stint as studio manager for Shazad Dawood, who is a phenomenal artist here in London. He actually decked out the Deutsche Bank lounge at Freeze okay. this year, which was amazing. Honestly, I, I walked out of that job with beautiful friendships that still, I mean, just, I met, uh, Shazad is wonderful, um, and the studio director and the head of curatorial projects, I mean, they're just, they're fabulous people. So that was a really lovely short experience yeah. uh, because I was offered a job at uh, the gallery that I'm currently at, which is Scarstead Gallery. So yeah, and that's where I am now. And how long have you been there? Five months. Wow. Yeah. And... All about art. Yeah. How did that come about? So I started all about art in the pandemic in 2021 because I was working at Sotheby's, but I was doing that remotely and I was doing my master's degree and my master's. So I did my bachelor's degree in art history, which was marvelous. And then I went to Goldsmiths for my master's and did arts administration and cultural policy because I'm so interested in cultural policy. It is, I just find it so great. Um, And it's also very relevant to maybe what I would like to do in my future, so yeah. yeah. But at that time, you know, because I also didn't have the possibility to meet with artists, to go to shows, I was was inside. And I felt very far away from art. Bit disconnected. yeah. Yeah, and I think the podcast was just a way to reconnect and talk to people and feel and I'm also incredibly extroverted like I was (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean (laughs) hard to believe but I um I like there's an example I was telling my friend the other day that in our gallery we have two floors we have the main exhibition floor and then we have the offices downstairs and sometimes because I work on Saturdays as well and there's two gals at the front desk my colleagues and sometimes I'm alone downstairs and if I get deprived of human contact like all day, when I end work and go see my friends, I'm like, hi, how are you? I'm like fully like, talk to me. <laughs> because I'm just, I am like, I get sad if I'm working alone. Wow. That's how, and I, that's how I realized I was an extrovert was yeah. in the pandemic when I felt like 
unhappy when I wasn't able to chat to people. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm quite extroverted. And so I think with the podcast, it was a way to talk to people, but also feel like I was furthering my career, furthering my knowledge. And then also trying to combine that with making an impact in the sector by providing a sort of information around the different jobs and different things people do so that it can, I guess, maybe lend the sector a little bit more transparency in terms of what the hell can I do with an art history degree? You know how many people I've interviewed when I say, you know, oh, what was your background? What did you study? How did you come into the arts? So many people say like, oh, my parents really disapproved. And it's like, thank God I had my mom (laughs) who was like, you know what? We're going to, yeah, my mom, my mom just had no fucking doubt in her mind that I would be fine. And I think if, if she would have discouraged me from doing that, I don't know, you know, my mom, my parents obviously have a lot of influence on me because they're my parents and that's the relationship I have to them. So I feel like it is really difficult sometimes when, uh, when that happens and it's because I feel, well, There are so many reasons why that is. But partially, I feel like it's because nobody really understands what you can do with an art history degree or a degree that has to do with arts and humanities in general. Mm. And what was your first episode and how did you decide on what that first episode was going to be about? So I launched five episodes in the very beginning uh, just to get more of them out there because my first episode is called About All About Art, like first episode of All About Art. And basically, it's me. Oh, no, it's so cringy. I've done one as well. And my phone dings in the background, and I laugh, and I'm like, ah, well, you know, I'm not going to be editing these to perfection, (laughs) says the woman who now meticulously edits things to perfection because she's a fucking control freak. (laughs) And I remember also in the beginning, you know, I did an episode about UCL and what, what it is like studying at UCL. And then I did a book review on David Balzer's curationism. Uh, and so I talked about what curating is. So those were three. And then I did an interview with uh, Lisa Schroffner. It's so hard to say it in an American. Lisa Schroffner, I have to say it Austrian, um, who did cover art for my podcast. And so it was my first artist interview. That was like the first batch of episodes that I brought out. Um, and then... I remember, you know, when people give me feedback, I absolutely love it because later on, someone then said, you know, hey, Alex, I listened to this podcast episode and, you know, you gave a lot of really good information, but what is your actual opinion? Because I was so nervous about giving my actual opinion on things because that that's recorded it's out there my my boss can listen to it you know a potential employer or you know an artist who i might be interested in working with can listen to it and what if they disagree and i was very afraid of really bringing out my opinion but i'm incredibly opinionated so it didn't really come across as authentic you know and then I started to bring in my opinion a little bit more and I started to feel more comfortable where they stand with you then don't they the, the listener, rather. Exactly. And honestly, now I'd rather have that because I think something that I am still learning how to accept is that you cannot be liked by everybody. Yeah. And as long as you realize that you may not be right, <laughs> you know, the other person might be right. So that is actually something as well where I was listening back. I can't remember what it was about, but there was something that I was talking about and I was like, 
my opinion has completely changed on it. But now I can't recall which episode it was, but someone talked to me about it and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, my opinion's different now. But that is something also, I said it in my first episode. I said, I'm not, I, I like, I don't know everything and I can't research everything all the time. I can't be all knowing about all of these subjects. So throughout this process, my opinion will change. I will maybe not have the same views that I did a year ago on another episode. And I say that in the first episode because I was very aware that I'm putting my voice out there. Changing your mind isn't a bad thing because you're not cementing everything in, oh, you're not fixing everything (laughs) in cement. Yeah. You're allowed to change your opinion. Yeah. You know, because that's part of being educated. Like, I do believe very strongly in my opinions, but I also believe that if someone would come to me with further information, that I am super open in changing my opinion. And I think that's really important. Good. Even though I am am stubborn. Yeah. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. That that can't make for a good conversation in the end. A good way to live is if you cement all of your your thoughts and don't allow them to change. How many episodes in are you as we record this? So as we're recording, I this week I just released the 41st episode. Nice. Yeah. And you asked me a question when we was recording about me yeah. on your podcast just now. Yeah. And I'm going to throw this one back to you. Oh, God. And I thought, well, that's a good one to ask. I'll make a note of that. And didn't. No, it was. <laughs> From those 41 episodes, yeah. what's your favourite? Or what would you recommend someone listen to? So I think the first one that pops into my head would have to be the collaboration I did with the Peggy Guggenheim collection. Okay. Because Grigina Subalite, who was my guest, she was the curator, or she's the associate curator at the collection, and she curated Surrealism and Magic, which was the show that was on, yeah, it was on at at this time now, it's in the past, um, during the Venice Biennale. And... My God, she is so knowledgeable. She is impressive, just wonderful woman. She's incredibly kind. And also, I'm really, really proud of the fact that the Peggy fucking Guggenheim collection was open to doing a podcast episode with me. Like, for me, that is one of, like, I was so excited. I was going to Venice and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I mean, it, it was just, it was such a wonderful experience. And they were so lovely so lovely oh and i saw um because they have a wonderful internship program so if anyone's you know interested in doing an internship there it's such a fabulous thing um and the gal who runs the internship program she actually went to university with me we were in the same course at ucl so i got to see her too yeah it was great it was so great um so yeah it was just so i would definitely say that one and then uh some of so it's a dual episode then I'd have to say like if I could name another one so because I don't only do interviews in even though I really enjoy doing interviews and that's something that is really rewarding because bringing in other people's experiences and opinions is what all about art is about but I also love to bring in my own opinions and research on things. Nice. And one of the things that I researched back when I was doing my master's was, again, that has to do with cultural policy, um, art censorship in different countries. I love these episodes. The, the two. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I, from the first episode, I actually landed a gig to give a talk 
about art censorship and expand that. So yes. I, I did a talk at the Lansdowne Club, which was so much fun. It was combined with a dinner. And honestly, I felt, I, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is my career. Oh my God. It was great. Um, and then I did the second episode based off of the talk that I did. And it was so much fun because, I mean, also, I am now getting emails from OnlyFans and Pornhub because I signed up to look at the art that was that had to do with that because like they brought out these programs yeah. and so yeah now I have an OnlyFans but my little description Brilliant. on OnlyFans is I'm only here for the art <laughs> I'm only here for the art I um, but yeah so I um, those were probably some of my favorites also to research to produce to create a general discussion around because yeah. I think that that is that has been something that has been rewarding in the sense that like someone wanted me to give a talk about it it's very much something that's that I refer back to when I'm giving talks in general it so I think that would have been one of my favorites as well one that I listened to of yours which I did really enjoy it was only a short one I listened to it twice while I was working. I generally only listen to art podcasts when I'm creating. Yeah. And it was, so it was Gemma Pepe from Art on a Postcard. Yes. That was a good podcast. It sounded like you just known each other for, for a long time, you know, and presumably yeah. you didn't. No, no. Uh, I rocked up to Gemma's house with my podcast gear and Gemma opened the door and she was in sweats and immediately I just felt Brilliant. comfortable. It yeah. was great. And she made me a coffee and we sat down and um, Gemma's really, really lovely. And I feel like this is something where, and this is why I said to you, I'd rather not do it over Zoom. I'd rather we do it in person. Because again, this comes with like the being extroverted and whatnot, but I feel like I can develop such a fabulous yeah. uh, rapport or like a, a relationship with the person that I'm sitting across from during a podcast when I'm sitting in person. And it just makes such a difference to me and it feels very natural. And I, I, I really enjoy speaking to people. And so I'm really happy to hear that that came across yeah. in Gemma's. Well, you're good at it. Anyway, you're good at it. That's Thank sure. you. <laughs> something I sort of uh, mentioned when we got here. When you do your podcast where it's just you yeah. speaking to the mic, I've got a lot of admiration for you because you do it so well. And I don't feel comfortable doing that. I feel comfortable asking someone a question then sitting back and letting them, you know yeah then edit me out <laughs> i can't edit me out of a monologue yeah yeah that that's kind of hard yeah <laughs> um if you was curating an exhibition yeah of five artists what would those five artists be oh my god that is such a hard question I feel like I would have to think about the theme first because I feel like there would be a lot of amazing themes that I would love to, to touch on and address. Um, but it's difficult because not all of my favorite artists who I would love to group together, I, like I'd have to come up with a theme that somehow fits them together maybe or something like that. But. One of my favorite artists is So Gwen Chung. I wrote about her in my undergrad dissertation and she uses artificial intelligence in her artistic practice. And she is brilliant. She's brilliant. She did a TED talk and she just explains everything so beautifully and just the way that she works with AI and machines is inspiring. 
And I just think it's so wonderful. And then I have, there's a couple of contemporary artists who I just, I mean, their practice just, I just find it so incredibly impressive. Um, but if I list all of them, you know, it's like, I mentioned her to you earlier, Lindsay Jean McLean, she's a friend, Flora Bradwell, also a friend, both of them have been on my podcast. Um, a, an artist that, yeah, Shazad Dawood, who I worked with, yeah, I mean, right. he is absolutely brilliant. I, I just think that it's almost very difficult to think about who I would bring together in one exhibition under one, I guess, umbrella. But then I have to think about, you know, oh my God, could I bring together something like with Artemisia Centileschi or Judy Chicago or, well, there's a lot of artists who have really impacted me, I think. And I think like Judy Chicago and Mary Kelly were two that really impacted me. Yaya Kusama is someone who's really stuck in my mind. Um, but as I said, I think Su Chung definitely. And then... I feel like, again, when it comes to curating, I'd have to think about the theme that I'd want to bring it under. And I don't want to bring it under this like aspect of, oh, women artists or something like that. But well, there's nothing wrong with it, is there? No, there's nothing wrong with it. I just feel like... I picked uh, three men for your... You did. You did. That's true. I don't think anyone should have to be conscious of influences. I don't think you should feel that you should pull someone else in because of their stance in whatever. Yeah. If they're the ones that's influencing you at the moment. Absolutely. influencing you at the moment. I'm very much influenced a lot by women artists. I feel like it just resonates with me in general. Libby Heaney is one of them. She's a quantum physicist who is an artist. And um, little sneak peek on the podcast. Yeah. She's, she's going to be my next guest. No, it's, it's probably going to come out, you know, before this comes out. Anyway, if, there's, so. if there's something that, that powers you or yeah. empowers you, then that is going to be the type of person that stands out to you. When I hear that someone is a working class artist, they tend to sort of skip the queue, if you like, for yeah. me mentally. Yeah. So there's, it doesn't matter, I don't think. Well, you know, we were talking about this on my episode that I'm going to be putting out on All About Art with you. We were talking about representation and how different people who have had similar lived experiences to you will be able to create art or a program or an exhibition yeah. that relates more to your experience and relates more to to how you feel, how you think. It will resonate more with you as yeah. the viewer. Well, and it's fine. very much, the for the most part, it's very much women artists. But there are some you know, male artists who I absolutely adore as well. I mean, Caravaggio being one of them, but... Uh, a couple of contemporary male artists. I have fallen in love with Martin Kippenberger. Uh, he, the gallery that I work for, is uh, half works well represents or works with his estate, which is really really amazing. Along with another gallery, and I didn't know that much about that artist until I started working at the gallery. And since then, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is fabulous. Or. Um, Cindy Sherman is another artist. She's cool, she? I adore Cindy Sherman. And so, I don't know. I do, I, uh, yeah, I can't choose five. <laughs> if you wasn't involved in the arts, what would you like to be? I think there were two other things that I was thinking about doing. And the first was I was really interested in going into fashion. Nice. Um, 
I don't, I think at the time as well, because I am quite an average build when it comes to my figure, I actually think that that pressure uh, back, I think I'd say what, like seven years ago when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, that pressure actually um, deterred me from going into fashion unfortunately but now now look at all the wonderful amazing yeah. curvy beautiful women who are in fashion and I think that that is so great so amazing um but yeah so I think fashion was one option I really really enjoyed it but um then the other thing was I was thinking about going into uh law and politics and going into Would that be for a mum's influence yeah I think. I mean, not because my mom ever thought of pressuring me in that way no. at all. Um, she always said when I argued with her, though, that I'd be a good lawyer. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can really, I can, I can argue quite well, which you know is great in some situations, and sometimes I just need to learn how to shut up. Yeah, you're, oh, you're not alone. There. <laughs> um, but I think that what what I was thinking about doing is in that sense of going into that is because I was getting really angry at what I was seeing and as I was getting older and as I was looking at society and politics and how people were treating each other and how um, things were turning out I just thought there was this society law and justice program at the Washington State University in Seattle which is where I was born and I was thinking oh I want to go to the States and maybe try and make a difference but then I just felt like I would absolutely lose myself if I did that. Like, I don't think... Well, the, the legal system or the criminal justice system in America is a, is a whole different beast. I think it's going to take... No disrespect, it's going to take more than one person... No, you can go ahead and... Yeah, and exactly. Generations it's going to take to try and... Yeah. Pull. And I, and I thankfully... Well, not thankfully, but like I recognised that and thought this might kill me. Yeah. And so I decided not to do that. It'd make you old very young, wouldn't it? Yeah. Very early, rather. Yeah. And then I thought, after I did my bachelor's, I thought, ooh, you know, in our history, there's this um, program at, I think it's either NYU or Columbia, and it's art and politics. Nice. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> and then there I looked at the fees, and it was like 60 grand a semester, and I was like, no. <laughs> that's, right, that's, that's one of the problems that... Where fees are so high, yeah. and it's harder to get grants and loans now, in a generation's time, it's only going to be the middle classes and upwards that are going to be in the arts, because the less fortunate are going to be pushed out of it. Absolutely. They already, like, it already is the case, because yeah. it's, it's such a privileged sector to be in. Like, I, yeah. I always think of the punk movement in that response. Yeah. Because... There's, it will always happen, peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs. But when things start to get out of reach of the working class, and I know many of the punks were very middle class, but it's the uprising that we all look for. Mm -hmm. The YBAs, you know, they weren't all working class, but they was rebelling against what was there. And fucking hell, them punks and whatever's around the corner, grime. Is the most recent one possibly? Yeah. You know, we've had enough of what's going on. Let's just make our own. Yeah. Yeah, make our stamp, and that will always happen anyway. Yes, it will. It will, and that's very, very exciting. And Alexandra, how can anyone find both you 
and the podcast, be it social media or website? So uh, on social media, it's just my name, at Alexandra Steinacker on Instagram. I'm also quite active on LinkedIn, so you can add me there. And then um, the podcast, I don't yet have an Instagram for it, nor a website, but I would love to get that going. But oh my God, it's a lot of work. Shout out to um, um, Leanne, who is going to help me kind of put that together. So that's quite exciting, but that's a side note. Anyway, the podcast can be streamed on Apple Music, can be streamed on Spotify. If you say, hey Alexa, play all about art, uh, Amazon has it there too. So all of that, uh, you can find it anywhere under all about art. Brilliant. That's all my questions asked. Thank you very much for your time. Mm, thank you so much for having me. Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. So we wasn't dictated to by advertisers, we decided from the offset to go ad-free, which means obviously we had to self-fund. So we set up the Ministry of Arts Patreon page. And without that support, we would not be able to produce this podcast. So if you like what you hear and you're able to support the podcast, just go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll find a Linktree drop-down box, which will direct you straight to our Patreon page. And for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help keep us growing week by week. But if you're not able to do that, that's fine, because this content is free for everyone. But leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to your podcast, that really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast or even giving us a positive shout-out on your social media. Everything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening, and until next week, ta Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.